0: All right, so let's uh, get started with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Continuing on element G, as you probably know by now, uh, the the eight elements, what they are, are listed in Roman numeral 1. I am actually going to review all of them up till now, next week. This will be technically the last week on element 6, It's element 6W, elected, chosen, foreknown, and predestined. Now element 6 is all about receiving Jesus Christ, responding to the gospel. I also call it key components of exchanges like we. You have to exchange your life for Christ's life. This modern aberration that you pray a sinner's prayer by which you mean uh, God and you're praying to someone less than God because you haven't even experience the true attributes of God or been taught on them or so forth. So you have a very diminished view of God and you say, I'm a sinner with a very diminished view of sin because you basically say, well, I've made a few mistakes. I need a little churching up or a little help or maybe a little counseling or something, but I'm basically a pretty good person. Uh, You know, come into my life and which by which we mean you know, sit in the back seat, don't even think about being Lord or driving. I'll just call on you once in a while when I really make a mess of things and, uh, and so forth. But the idea that I'm going to prioritize my whole life and my values about God, church family, Bible study, uh, all these things, a completely new way, uh, I want salvation without that. But you just can't, that you can't have salvation on your terms. And so we've been really kind of trying to get to the root here of what it means by as many as received him, to them he gave the authority, the exousia, which means authority and power, uh, sometimes translated the right, uh, no English word translates it very well, they really should do word, just use the words authority and power, uh, even though it's one Greek word and they try to have a one-to-word exchange and more literal equivalent translations, but uh, as many as receive I mean, gave the right to, be, to have the authority and the power to become children of God, and that is to live like God. So he's in charge of our calendar, he's in charge of our uh, priorities, he's in charge of our attitudes, our motivations, what, why we're here, what we're about, where we're going, and so forth. So, we've looked at a lot of words, uh, and I can't review them much today. Um, we are... Uh, I noticed that most people figured out it was daylight savings time. I got fortunate this morning and that uh, my wife had reminded me, but I forgot. So I thought I was getting up at 4.30 to finish the message, but I actually got up at 3.30 and turned out I needed every minute of it. So uh, that worked out good. So um, now hopefully none of us are backslidden today, even though all of us fell back last night. That was my daylight savings time joke. You can add that to the list. (laughs) All right, so I am going to review what we talked about the last two weeks because uh, a few people who actually pay attention and take notes and review the outline came to me and said, hey, the outline said that we were going to talk about election and instead you talked about sin for two weeks. What's up with that? And uh, I had definite reasons why that was important, and uh, hopefully as we review that will become obvious. Some people guessed that I went uh, decided to talk about sin because I'm an expert in that area. And uh, I, both in uh, theoretical or theological knowledge and experience, I'm pretty practiced in the area of sin. I know a lot about that. But that was not the reason. Uh, It was because you really need to understand the depth of our sin to understand that anything except God foreknowing, predestining, choosing, electing, would be unrighteous. Fallen man has a great deal of uh, difficulty, and unfortunately because of the nature of the church today with so many false converts and shallow converts and partially converted people and so forth, because of the whole situation we're in, uh, much of the church today really hates the doctrines of foreknowledge, predestination, and election. Because if you look at it from a fallen heart and a man's perspective, and you don't understand the depth of sin, you will actually wrongly conclude that it's not fair. But if you really understand the depth of human sin and have encountered that in your own life, then you'll realize that he hardens whom he will harden, and he uh, draws who he will draw, and that's the only possible way that it could be godly and righteous. So let's get into this. Sin is one of the most misunderstood, reduced, or wrongly defined and misapplied uh, idea in the the church today. Full conviction of sin is, is a key to overcoming complacency, We live in a time when almost everyone acknowledges the church in in the West, in America especially, is mediocre, complacent, half-hearted, half, half, you know what else, Uh, and not on fire, not very zealous, not very uh, disciplined, and so forth. When you begin to understand sin, Jesus said, you know, uh, he who's been forgiven much loves much. When you begin to understand sin and begin to understand the grace of election— you will be a passionate Christian every minute of every day, all the time, because you will uh, totally realize uh, the depth of what he's given you. He gave you your life back when you were dead. So we looked at original sin, which tends to be the Catholic idea of sin. Uh, And as, as Augustine and Paul and others used it It's a pretty good concept. As it tends to be used today, it tends to be reduced to just some hereditary stain or blemish or a black mark on your soul uh, and not a a propensity to be under a power that twists everything and perverts everything in the image of God in us all the time. So without seeing that second aspect, that it's a power that everyone is held captive to, that causes all the motives and attitudes of our heart to be to be uh, twisted and perverted constantly, like in Genesis five six five, when it says uh, the Lord looked down from heaven and He was grieved because of the heart of man did wickedness uh, always and. Uh, so without understanding that, you get into a lot of false doctrines about salvation, that, and I don't have time to recover those, but those include baptismal regeneration, performance-based Christianity, the whole concept of believing in indulgences. That, that uh, Well, we're not going to get into all that. That'll be covered in the church history class. We covered it a little bit last week. Some of you know what that is. If you've seen the Luther movie, you probably at least have a little understanding of what that's all about. And the whole, whole uh, unbiblical idea of purgatory—all of that comes out of uh, misunderstanding the depth of sin. Okay. In the more reformed way of thinking, the, the the term is usually total depravity, total depravity, or total inability, or total corruption. It's important to say understand that sin does not obliterate the image of God in a person. Everyone still has the image of God. So even fallen man's music, poetry, literature, philosophy has some right ideas, has some true beauty, uh, glorifies God in some ways, but never in sufficient ways. And it's always tainted by the fallenness of man. So um, some of the things we brought out about... uh, Total depravity is, the most important one is the first one listed there. You should be, if you're following, you should be in Roman numeral 6, letter E, the small points 1 through 5 under them. Some people have told me they have trouble staying with that line. So it, it makes you captive, that is, in jail, bound up by, chained, to a, a heart attitude and a way of life that runs from the truth of God, that hides from the presence of the Lord, like Adam did, that suppresses the truth of God. And all of man's philosophies, his science, his views of psychology, etc., come out of that fallenness. And they, to a fallen man who doesn't understand uh, presuppositional theology and hasn't ha- had their eyes opened to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, um, all their reasoning is is to uh, man-centered, twisted, wrong ends. Um, so you're also captivated to various kinds of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, the scripture says first John and 3: four. And um, what that, that's something that could particularly help you Uh, One of the things we're up against is most people who've been brought up in the church today, because of the shallow definitions of God, because of the diminished visions of the holiness of God and the the omnipotence of God and so forth, because of that, most uh, Christians don't see that gap between who God is and who we are in our sin as very big. And so they don't see their desperate situation. And that you know, I've talked to people with all sorts of emotional problems, addictions, um, battling depression, anxiety, uh, all kind of fears, uh, anger management issues, and so forth. But because they grew up in the church with a shallow definition of sin, they think I'm not that messed up because I don't, I haven't shot anybody, I haven't stolen any cars. Uh, you know, I'm not a robber in the technical sense of the bank. But the first commandment is that you should love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And if that's not the passion of your heart from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you have a deep fundamental sin problem. You have other gods besides him. You have made graven images in your heart and your mind. And you are just as deep of a sinner as any Addict, any sexually uh, tormented person with all kind of sexual perversions and sins and so forth. uh, Any anger management issue kid that maybe is even taking it so far as to kill people. uh, You are just as sinful as as anyone you know. And you'll make very little progress in the Lord till you, you cry out to God and help have him make that real to you. And it's amazing, I've, I especially deal with um, uh, kids, a lot of times, young people today, if they've grown up in the church, will have this thing where I most of the sins I struggle with are secret sins, you know, like maybe pornography or something. And so I'm really a basically good pro- person, I just have this one little struggle. <laughs> That's just nonsense. That's just... Uh, an illusion, you know, I always say you have to be a uh, illusion in the first place to become disillusioned. <laughs> um, so, just because your sin isn't as noticeable and isn't on people's favorite list of, like, drunkenness or smoking or, God forbid, girls who wear makeup or some some shallow legalistic definition of sin... Half the time, which is not even biblical in the least, uh, And that's what we mean by, um, you know, uh, antinomian antinomian legalism. When you reject the law of God as your as your standard, you will substitute your own law because you're made in God's image, and although you have twisted God's image, you'll and that's what self righteousness is you'll still have law in your heart and you'll have these little rules and you'll still judge yourself. You'll have this, uh, until you're set free by Christ to see the depth of your sin and come under full conviction and receive the power of his grace in a life-transforming way, you will constantly be tormented inside by a variety of things, one of which is that you'll be self-righteous toward others. You'll see sinners that you think you're not as much a sinner as. That's one of the, that is the most pitiful place to be in, in the world. You'll be like the Pharisees said, who said to the blind man, "You were born entirely in sin, and you're judging us," and because they didn't believe they were born entirely in sin. And so you won't. You if you go to the jail, or you try to work with alcoholics, or any other kind of person, you'll have no fruit, because you will have no grace because you'll be actually condescending to them when you minister with them. And at the same time, you'll be self-condemned, because deep down you know you don't measure up. And so you have this uh, double bind that's swirling around inside you all the time, Uh, and this will lead to to other problems. But the double bind is that you're self-righteous and condemnatory toward others, in uh, self-congratulating, but you're also self-condemned and full of shame and guilt and, and so forth, and especially those who are involved in secret sexual sins and so forth. It'll just dump all this shame and guilt and so forth into your life, and then it becomes this swirling snowball that leads to other problems, addictions, uh, emo- deep emotional problems. And one of the ways you can know is look at the things in the In the Bible, that are besides the law, you can also look at who Christ is, and compare that with who who Satan and the demons are. So, may uh, you know if you've had any kind of killing toward other people in your heart, toward abortion, towards battles with suicidal thoughts or whatever, the thief comes only to kill, rob, and destroy. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. And that comes out of, that struggle comes out of a deep-seated sin problem. And you could have never had a drink or a smoke in your life. I would encourage you to have a drink and have a smoke but uh, <laughs> but uh, and define sin more biblically. <laughs> so some of the guys like cigars they can teach you. Uh, all right so. Hopefully we understand, like, I I can't go any further with this review or I'll not get into today's stuff. Seeing the depth of sin is the key to being on fire, it's the key to grace, and it's the key to fruitfulness. So, that also leads to today understanding, it's the key to when you see that the Bible literally has hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that says that God chooses... Who, who's going to be part of his people. He elects them from all eternity. He foreknew them before the foundations of the world. He's preordained all of that and predestined that. he. Uh, all of life is coming out of his eternal decree. And if you don't see your fallenness, you won't see the beauty of that. So let's get into just a few introductory scriptures that bring... That, bring out these points. The entire scripture does brings these points. Uh, it's important to understand that um, a lot of people, when they talk about election, foreknowledge, and predestination, will think this is an idea that's in the letters of Paul. Well, that's right. Much like we say grace is undeserved favor, but it's such a partial definition. These ideas, election that you were chosen, predestined, foreknown, adoption, that we uh, spoke on a few weeks back. All of these are spoken about by Jesus, by the other apostles and the other epistles, but m- most importantly, they're from Genesis 1 to Revelation. They're in the whole Bible. Now, you c- hopefully you know by now, if you don't know, there's guys like Anvesh, Stephen, Sydney will show you how to use tools like Nathan Hager likes these things. You know, you know, you can learn how to use Bible Gateway and you can just put in the word chose and see how much you know things come up. Put in chosen, uh choose, put in elect, put in for no," for new, things and see and see how many verses you come up with. Hundreds. So let's just uh touch on a few of them since we want to make sure people understand this didn't come from Paul, but Paul's ideas came from Jesus. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. Now, how many people prayed a sinner's prayer and made a choice to receive Christ? Hopefully everybody in this room, right? But you did that because he chose to give you the grace to do that. (laughs) You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you. We have part of our reductionist theology today is we separate uh, the we separate regeneration and conversion from calling to be a part of God's apostolic ongoing mission in Christ in His church. He never calls. Even though you have to respond to the call one person at a time, when you respond to that call you are immediately part of the family of God and you are immediately called to be a part of a family and what family you're supposed to be a part of is not based on finding a church you're comfortable with which is a great modern heresy and it's really really disgusting doctrine but find out who you're called In terms of things like who is representing the full scriptures and the mission of God more accurately, who will challenge you to grow more, who will help you restore the image of God, and most importantly, who will help you get to a point where you're a fruitful disciple living an entire lifestyle of mission. That's why it's important to see, when you see, I didn't choose you, or you didn't choose me, but I chose you, he doesn't stop there. I chose you and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. Now, the word remain there is a word that lots of people who come to the Tuesday Night Bible Study have heard me talk about the Greek word there, oh, I probably bring it up eight or ten times a year, uh, in over the last three or four years, so you've, some of you have heard me talk about this word, but... It's a word that's translated abide, continue in, remain in, dwell in. It has the concept of an ongoing camping out there. Right? It's a total way of life word. So when Jesus says you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me, it's this word meno. And when he says that your fruit should remain, the kind of fruit God's looking for is not decisions at a sinner's prayer altar call he's looking for the fruit that walks with God for the rest of their life and is always laying a kind of foundation where the people don't walk away from God it's become a dot you know there's these all unstated doctrines in American Christianity I'm, I'm hoping to write a book about that someday things that we believe but that we would never say and one of them is, is that you're supposed to be passionate about God and fire for God for a short while while you're young, or and while you're young in the Lord. But then you're going to get disillusioned and unbelieving and bitter and disappointed. And, you know, you see the little old lady uh, patting the young Christian on the head. Don't worry, someday you'll be, you know, complacent and distraught and, and discouraged, just like the rest of us, <laughs> you know. Now, no one would say that, but that's what's expected. Nobody expects that you're going to get more on fire. We, the, even the the world around us, and even the church sometimes has this idea that your marriage is going to get worse. Your marriage, uh, walking with Christ, will get better, better and better, exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think. When when you're young. You can't even envision how good it's going to be. Same way, thing as when you're, when you're only 10 years old in the Lord. You can't understand what it's going to look like if you continue to grow and get more zealous and more passionate with love for God. You can't even begin to understand what it's going to look like after 30, 40, 50, 100, 1,000. <laughs> know, uh, it's going to be always better. Because we're on a journey, and there's no destination except Christ. That's like one, one of the fundamental things I try to disciple people into is not to be looking for destinations, but to love the process. Lo- the love the process of life. Lo- You've got to love, hug your crosses. Talked to John at t- lunch today about his some understandings he has about what it means to love or hug your cross. Um. Because your crosses are the best things in your life. They may be your boss, your spouse, your roommate. They may be a lot. There may be Pastor Greg, but uh, but but I get more hugs that way. But embrace your crosses. (laughs) All right, Acts two twenty two and twenty three. Men of Israel, and then we're going to read three verses next here. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Because here, one of the reasons I want to bring this out is I want you to see the primitive apostles, so to speak. A lot of sections of the church today, sadly, fall into this like, well, when the book of Acts has kind of undeveloped theology, and, um, you know, later in the epistles, Paul developed these things much more. That is a heresy. It, it cuts against the doctrine called the plenary inspiration of all Scripture. So these ideas, election, foreknowledge, predestination, whether they're popular, popular or not, they're what the Bible teaches. And this is what the apostles taught. In Acts 2, anyone know the context? Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost. This is the very first Christian sermon ever the very first Christian teaching after, on the day the church was born, in the first hour when he started with that wonderful opening line, you're not drunk as you suppose, or we are not drunk as you suppose, it's too early in the morning. <laughs> I always loved that that was the first line of church uh, proclamation. <laughs> it's too early to be drunk. Let's move on from there. This is, uh, you know, it can only get better, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, And in in the middle of the speech, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through, through him in your midst, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan, in other words, predestination, and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he led them out and so forth. So the Bible holds to what modern man can, especially modern Western man, I should say, cannot stand is there there are paradoxes that are difficult to reconcile, but they're just stated plainly as facts. And we spiritually-minded people, Paul says that the natural-minded person, 1 Corinthians 2, cannot understand the things of the Lord, but we do speak maturity among those who are spiritual, and we combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So the truth of the matter is God foreknew and predestined and determined that they would reject the Messiah, that they would f- falsely accuse him, that they would that he would be crucified by the people he came to, the leaders of Israel, and by the Roman government, uh, which is kind of the trifecta of all the categories of worldly people there are, and uh, and he held them culpable for their action, even though it was his predestined plan, even though the 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 scriptures. Prophesy about Judas in the Psalms, and Jesus quotes that about Judas, as the apostles do in Acts 1. Is he still to blame for his action? Now, you go figure that out because that's what all kinds of theological debates are about, but you are required to believe that. Period. Now, part of the way, one explanation that helps you is to understand that sinful men are sinful, so all sinful men would do these things. Anyone who's not a betrayer of Christ, anyone who didn't crucify him, uh, anyone who's not in the crowd shouting crucify him or so forth, if by God's grace you've been turned into a lover of God, he was under no obligation to do that in your life. All men are locked up under sin, as Romans 3, the whole chapter, makes very clear. And God's not required to save any. So those, uh, you know, so when you start thinking about fairness, if God was fair, as we think of fair, he would have just let everyone perish. But God's justice is triumphed over by his mercy As the scripture says, so he uh, worked out an elaborate, predetermined, eternal plan called in Hebrews 13.20, the eternal covenant of redemption for us. And he calls and and reconciles to himself who he will. And he chooses them and appoints them to bear fruit. If you're called of God, you know, I I got to hear Roy's testimony when Roy first uh, uh, turned to the Lord. And it was interesting that, like, when he encountered God in sort of unusual ways, it, uh, in, and he's like, like, knows it's true, and he had this sense of what he was called to become, right from the beginning. Now, the key in the Christian life is, like, Paul said, "I, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision." What happens today is most people are given a sense of calling, but we never get to it. That's what Jesus is saying when he says many are called, but few are tw- chosen. Most people have this sense of calling, but they don't actually pay the prices they need to to, uh, to pursue the caller as fully as he wants. You know, the, the issue in life is we all want to have goals that are this big, and we want to estimate, this will kill anyone listening to it on audio, I'm holding my hands uh, two feet apart, but then we want to estimate... Uh, that it would take this much effort, six inches, to get there. We do that with every area of our life. Pursuing God. You know, I'm on a diet, so I'll have one less scoop of hot fudge on my Sunday. <laughs> and I'll have and I'll have the large side of fries instead of the jumble large side of fries or <laughs> You know, well, that's not gonna get me there. You're fooling yourself. You don't believe it. All right. Um, Acts four twenty eight. Basically, again, the apostles tell the, the the Sanhedrin that God that you delivered up Jesus to death, and that you are guilty, culpable before God for your murders. And it was God's predestined plan that you would do so. <laughs> And God, anticipating this objection, I can't, I can't get into it because it's too long a chapter. But read Romans nine, ten, and eleven. But in Romans nine, Paul deals with the, the 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 fleshly, sinful objection of fallen man that's so prevalent in the church today. Well, how is that fair? If how can we be held accountable if we didn't resist His will? And Paul just says, "Who are you, old man, to answer back to God?" one of the things that is a sign of true conversion is you quit fighting the ideas of god and you just start submitting to him and following him and pursuing him with every ounce of your being it's a, you know i'm always hearing well i can't grow the, because i was i'm not wired, i'm not this way or i'm not that way guess what you're a new creature in christ and part of being in God's church is that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave overseers and deacons to the church who have a lot more vision and perspective on who you are and what you can accomplish and what you can do. That's like a godly father. A, the whole point of godly fathers in the Hebrew culture was to say, you think you can go this far? But I know you can go this far. People listening on audio six inches to two feet again. And, and this, is, this is what you're destined to become. And these are the prices I'm going to require of you at a young age to start getting you to have the steel in your soul to get there. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, because our culture is so shallow, a lot of uh, fathers don't uh, understand their role that way so they're emotionally unavailable or don't don't spend enough time with each kid individually and and they don't have standards you God does not want you to have standards of you can't drink or can't smoke and legalistic stuff he wants you to he wants you to help them become the Paul the Peter the uh St. Monica that you are supposed to become do that one in for Tiffany but uh You know, a father calls you up higher and helps you understand how to find the grace to do it. Because our flesh is always saying, I can't do it. Make my bed. I can't do it. I can't take out the trash. I can't do it, Daddy. (laughs) I'm only four years old. You can learn how to do the dishes when you're four years old. And one of the things any parent knows... (laughs) Every parent knows this. Uh, it's a lot harder teaching your kids how to do chores than just doing it for them. You see, and that's why, like rampant in, in in the evangelical church today, kids are going to college without basic skills of of knowing how to solve problems and live life and take care of themselves financially time uh, management-wise, setting their priorities, how to study better, and so forth, because their dad didn't prepare them. Don't you dare leave any of that stuff up to the public school to do. Public school is is bound up by uh, federal laws about taking certain kinds of tests, and it teaches to those tests, and it does not at all develop in your child a desire to seek God and to know lots of things just for the sake of loving knowledge. And and correlating that pursuit of knowledge to a life of character. Please turn off your phones, people. So, uh, boy, I'm running. I get it. So here's some other scriptures. Exodus 9, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then he told him that he rebuked him for still exalting himself. See? See? Proverbs: The king's heart is in the channel; is like channels of water. In the hand of the Lord, He turns it wherever He wishes. You know, you can even pray for our ungodly politicians. So, please turn off your phones. Okay. Um, now. I really want to hit this verse, 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore be all the more diligent to make certain or confirm or be sure about his calling, that is, his election of you. So this doctrine is important because the Bible, Peter is telling you, make certain you understand that you were elected and that this is a deep foundation of the fabric of who you are and how you relate to life and, and so forth so that when trials come, you know they're from God. You know they're an opportunity. So you'll never grumble or complain or whine again. Guess what? In heaven, there's like a sign on the way in no whiners. <laughs> so no whining. <laughs> no, it's true. Our fresh flesh loves to whine and complain and because we love to see life from our point of view and we love to have so much pride that we think we deserve something better. Anyone who has anger management problems, it's rooted in you think that life, you deserve to have life go your way. You don't deserve someone to cut you off now. Anyone who has grumbling and complaining problems is a very selfish person that needs to be set free by the gospel. Because you think it's supposed to be your way. You want life to be sponsored by Burger King. But it's sponsored by the real king. And he doesn't let you have it your way. <laughs> <laughs> Romans 8, uh, look at all those words underlined. Called, purpose, foreknown, predestined, justified. Election. Now, I, the, the remaining time, I'm just going to try to hit four reasons why this doctrine of election is important. I can't really develop enough about election and foreknowledge and predestination if you don't believe in it to convince you, but I would encourage you just to get before God and study Scripture. Because if without that foundation, you have a very diminished view of who God is as compared to what the Bible presents Him to be, and you have a very diminished view of your own sin and your own need for grace. And that will be at the heart of your struggle to be a radical Christian. Uh, Number one, the doctrine of election is necessitated by the doctrine of total depravity. God is not obligated to save anyone, but rather, as Romans 3 brings out, all men are shut up under sin. Now, we've dealt with that enough, so I'm not going to develop that one much more. Number two, only basis for humility and graciousness. We've dealt with that one as well. Okay, and without seeing... uh, both the depth of sin and the grace of his election, you can't deal graciously with others. And you're not going to, you know, like, I'll be honest, my wife and I were brought up in middle-class suburban homes with, you know, lots of people in our family are PhDs and college teachers, and, and, you know, you're expected to live in a certain standard of house, and everyone's supposed to go to college, and you grow up loving books and knowing a lot of things, and and, uh, you know, when we first started doing ministry in the inner city, God had a root out of us, like seeing some alcoholic or, and thinking, like, there goes that loser. Or, you know, we'd go to the jail, and we'd go, oh, man, what a mess. You know, it's fine to say what a mess, but not if you think in your heart that you wouldn't be a mess apart from the grace of God. You'll have nothing to offer them. Understanding election and God's choice of you and that that you didn't choose him if you don't if you that to the next point uh, evangelism if you don't see that he that he chose you if you think you actually chose to be a goody two shoes or or hopefully you've gone beyond that now you're finally chose to be a real Christian. You know, but I'm always dealing with people who, like, think they're a pretty good person because they never did this and this and that. And it's like some of the people who are the farthest from God are like that. Because, you know, the Bible says that the Lord knows the proud from afar. And Derek Prince used to say, and that's where he keeps them. See, when you still have some self-righteousness and you don't understand that you would not have chosen God. One of the things that hopefully you—if you're—I would say you're not really converted till you've gone back, like the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness. Various circumstances happened, and sometimes they had a, a, a backslidden, uh, sinful interpretation of Israel. Oh, I would that we were back in Egypt where we had leeks and onions and and uh, so forth. Your flesh has an interpretation on who you were. And if you're still listening to that interpretation, you're probably not converted fully yet. You're probably not really a born again Christian. You need to understand the depth of the gospel and understand that, um, that you know, you, you, wanna, you, you just got to see that you didn't come to God, He had to corner you. You know, I always mock this, but you hear in churches people give testimonies. I've been searching for truth all my life. And I just want to, and last night I found the truth. I found Jesus. And I just want to stand up and say, Liar! You were running from truth all your life. And he finally got you to a place where you were poor in spirit somehow even though that was a lot of work on his behalf, on his part. And he got his foot on your neck, and you finally said, oh, I loved Jesus all along. (laughs) I was righteous from my youth up. I sometimes say that to my wife when we're getting around, because she she knows what a scoundrel I have been, and still am. She just looks at me and tries to distance herself in case there's any lightning bolts come. (laughs) You you, you have to understand the depth of your depravity to understand the grace of his election. Why did he choose you fill in the blank with you? I don't know. You weren't the best candidate. You know, if you have any tinge of this, God got a good deal when he got me because I'm really on fire and I'm really into this part of the doc, you know, like I'm a... You know, into studying, or I'm into evangelism, or I'm into the gifts of the Spirit, or I, I'm a real enthusiastic worshiper. God, God didn't get any deal when He got you. <laughs> he just loves problems. <laughs> <laughs> now, Acts 13 says this: When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord, and as many as appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Now, this is important to understand. Uh, Acts 18, 9 through 11 is when, when Paul, the Lord ad- appeared to Paul and told him to stay in Corinth because I have many people in this city. Now, you have to you know, read what I call the reverse negative. That verse actually probably t- tells you that Paul was probably thinking Corinth. This is, Corinth was one of the most immoral um, cities in the world that at that time. Lots of we've gone into that. Lots of reasons why. Hopefully you understand that. And I'm sure Paul had a very he had a thing I call Paul Paul's modus operandi, where he planted churches only in certain strategic cities. And I'm thinking that Paul was actually doubting whether Corinth was the right city to be in. Because on the surface level, it's it's uh. It was the the capital or the the provincial city of the province called Akaya, so it'd be like washington well not it 'd be like Columbus, Ohio you know, and so there was great learning there and philosophers and great wealth and there was because it was a seaport city there was homosexuality, lots of worship of of sexual gods and other kinds of for you know pagan cults and and there, there was high divorce rate and high, and slavery, you know, slavery, it was a capital for trading slaves, and it was a wicked and perverted place, not unlike America today. And Paul said, you know, God said to Paul, I want you to stay there. Why? Because I have foreordained and predestined, and he said, I have many people in that city. So he stayed 18 months and only left when he was forced to go to save his life. But if you notice, the the Corinthian letters are not addressed to a church with elders because there wasn't anybody qualified to be an elder in Corinth. Sound familiar? So, um, understanding election... What, what's happened today is this weird perverted thing that the, there's sections of the church that believe a, an ancient heresy called Pelagianism, more modernly called Arminianism. Then you'll see them. They're called free will Baptist church and free will this and free will that. And they, are, they don't have a much depth of view of man's sinfulness. A lot of, uh, lot of view that man participates in his own salvation. And, and so you're a little better than everyone else if you chose Christ. And those churches have a tendency, and that movement in evangelicalism has a tendency to be the most evangelistically aggressive uh, group of Christians on the planet today. And the people who who know better, who understand that God elects and foreknows and chooses, uses that as an excuse often not to do evangelism. But it's the only reason to do evangelism. We don't do evangelism because of the poor lost sinners. We do it out of our love for God, and he commanded us to in our obedience. And we know there will be fruit because he's chosen there to be fruit. Does that make sense? I'm past my time, but I really wish I had given myself a little more time to develop that. Now, I don't have time to develop this, but those of you who've read Eschatology of Victory or Paradise Restored those of you who are beginning to understand what post-millennialism is, which is the true uh, teaching about the end times. I gave you a bunch of scriptures there if you want to get started with some of those. Um, it's God's foreknowledge in election is the only basis for that. Because if you look at our our 1st and 2nd Corinthians culture around us, and your faith is based on what you see, you could never hope that all the worlds will be changed into... For Christ, all the nations and all the cities and so forth. But if you go by what the scripture says, which is what it means to walk in faith, it's very clear that there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. And the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the seas, the, the cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And all of these things are clearly verses about what God's going to do before Jesus returns. Amen.